0: Marketing. It is an essential part of any successful startup.
1: Yet it's an aspect in business building that many entrepreneurs miss out on.
0: And it shows too, because if you don't market correctly, it's fewer sales, it's slower growth, it's less customers. It's just no
1: fun. Luckily, it doesn't take that much to get back on the marketing train. And we're going to teach you how. I'm Hallie Gray, CEO of Evolve and Succeed, co-hosting with Joe Barrett, technical consultant and developer.
0: And today on Biz 503, we're talking about the basics of practical marketing for startups. And we have some wonderful people joining us. We have Wendy Cotilla, creator and founder of She Gets Business. Krista King is here, founder of Fitlandia. And Sean Harry, business advisor and instructor at PCC SBDC. And Sean, I'm going to start with you. Tell us what all the initials mean.
2: Well, the SBDC is the Small Business Development Center. And we're out of the both the Portland Community College, the Clackamas Community College, and here in the Portland area, the Mount Hood Community College. We work with small businesses to help them really make their dream come true. Excellent.
0: And Wendy, how about you? You, we, all the off mic talk is always fun. You have about three or four hats that I know of.
3: (laughs) So I'm a business coach, a startup mentor, and a teacher. So I teach business foundations at Portland State University at Mercy Corps Northwest. And then I'm also the founder of my own startup. And my product is called uh, She Gets Business, which is a virtual classroom for women entrepreneurs, early stage uh, business builders. Excellent. Excellent.
0: Krista, in addition to being a better than average poker player, what else do you do?
4: <laughs> Well, thank you, Joe. That's a lot coming from you. I am the CEO of Fitlandia. We have an online fitness platform to help people end the dieting cycle by first changing their thought patterns in their brain.
0: Thanks to
1: everyone for being here. Hallie? Hey, so I was wondering, let's talk first about how you define marketing or what activities you do for marketing, because I think that's used a lot. And it means the same thing as design. It could cover a thousand different things. So Krista... When you're thinking of marketing, what are you thinking of in particular and what activities do you, do you associate when you hear marketing?
4: Yeah, well, it is huge, right? It's super broad, especially for cutting through the fitness and diet industry. I feel like I have to be in all places at all times. So for me, um, I'll probably talk a lot about digital marketing, social media marketing, but for me, it's about brand awareness. How do you speak your voice? How do you speak your truth and how do you get your mission out there? To millions of people.
1: And that online space is so competitive, <laughs> especially with the fitness industry. So that must be a real tricky thing. And we're going to talk about that because that sounds really fascinating. For Wendy, what do you think when you hear marketing and what do you usually do when you do marketing?
3: Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would say is that a lot of my students, um, firstly, have this concern about marketing. <laughs> like they feel sort of it, like, oh, I don't feel comfortable. That feels spammy, et cetera. And, you know, I turn that around and say, in my mind, the heart of marketing is really about identifying your target customer what their needs, wants, or pain points are, and how you solve them. And to me, it's the breadcrumbs between their needs and wants and how your company actually serves them and makes money, which is essential for a business who wants to be profitable.
1: Excellent. So the research aspect and getting to know your ideal client, you find Absolutely. to be like the foundation. Excellent. Yeah. All right, cool. And Sean, what do you think when you hear that? Because you do work a lot with brick and mortar companies. So that sort of comparing it to digital marketing must be kind of different, right?
2: Well, the, the foundations, the fundamentals of marketing are still the same. Um, I think of marketing, I think of the term that I like to use is renting out space <laughs> in the mind of the customer. Understanding that marketing is not, you know, selling to them. It's that's not that aspect. It's getting their attention, helping them understand how you can help them. Why would they choose you?
0: So living in the age we do, I feel like it's an interesting conundrum because everybody in the whole world could be your customer. So how do you go about narrowing it down to finding the needles in the haystack, the people that are going to eventually buy things from you.
4: So I can personally speak to my own journey with this. I started as a private practitioner and, you know, I just came from this place of I want to help everyone. Like, why would I say no to everyone? And you know, you hear if you're marketing to everyone, you're marketing to no one. So I'll I'll throw that lesson out there. But I really started to dig deep into personally what my mission was. And um, what came out of that exercise of creating my ideal customer avatar, who is that person, it was really me. It was a stressed out, burned out female exec that um, was just completely expending all of their energy and not making their health a priority and their, you know, their diet, their fitness routine, whatever it is, is out of whack. So that's once I started to understand that. Um, it really started to clarify my messaging. And who who am I targeting? Well, it's it's the woman 35 to 55 whose hormones are changing and she's stressed <laughs> out and burned out and needs some help.
3: <laughs> um, this is a great question because I'm teaching three classes uh, concurrently this week. And uh, I have about 70 students across these classes. And right now we're talking about this. So The way that I teach this is, uh, you know, really first starting with the vision for the company that you want to build, you know, what is the inherent why for your business and identifying who it is that you want to work with, because I believe that there's a lot of folks that we can serve, but who lights you up to work with, right? And then from there, I have um, students map out what they believe they know about that customer. So their psychographics and their demographics, the demographics being the stuff that can be measured, like gender, location, education level, et cetera. And then the psychographics being their aspirations, motivations, beliefs, opinions. And we talk about the fact that people make purchasing decisions, even for commodities like toilet paper, (laughs) based off emotions, even if you don't recognize it. And then I take them down a path of testing their assumptions And I like serving, so uh, people can do focus groups or whatnot, but serving is a super easy, free way to really test those assumptions. I have never had a class where there hasn't been people who came back and said, whoa, I thought this, and actually I found out this. And so I really love that way of defining the target market. And I think it's consistent, no matter what stage of business you're in, that you consistently keep honing who your target customer is and what they want or need.
0: Sean, maybe you can talk to this, and I don't know if you want to have, uh, if you have a specific example that comes to mind. Since you see a lot of companies in a lot of different parts of business, do you have somebody who came in and thought, my customer is this, but it turned out to be somebody else, and it was, and it was a wonderful thing? Like, they were able to pivot in time and find an audience they didn't know they could find?
2: Well, yeah, that happens all the time, actually. We see most of the time is that people come in and they think that everybody's their customer, right? Everybody's my audience. Anyone with the pulse, Anybody who was willing to pay me, they're my good customer. But there are, um, as Wendy was saying, there are people who you would prefer to work with, um, that you like to work with more. People who, when you see them, uh, they smile. People who are happy to pay you. (laughs) People who tell their (laughs) friends about you. Yeah, so I take an example of, I work with a lot of uh, acupuncturists and naturopaths. And I was encouraging one of these naturopaths to focus on a specific area of people that she really liked to work with, that she knew more about, and she likes to run. In fact, she came to acupuncture because she was running a marathon and needed some treatment to help her knee get better so she could run the marathon. And she's opened herself up to working with uh, runners. And she said, well, I don't want to narrow my scope. You know, I'm going to miss out on people. I said, hey, but let's think about this. How many runners are there in the Portland area? (laughs) If all you serve were runners, would you have enough people to, you know, fill your practice? And as soon as she started, started doing that, her practice was full. She was enjoying it more. She became the go-to person. Uh, So yeah, we see it all the time. And
0: I guess that leads me to another interesting tangent is you can get lost in the online piece. What's the value of being face to face with your customers. And Wendy, you talk about it as finding a tribe, but it's being in person in in front of somebody. How does that help you build things that you couldn't find online? What's the yin and yang of that whole, the mix of the two?
3: Oh, to make sure I understand the question. So you're talking about the value of interacting with your customers face-to-face versus online?
0: Right. Rather than all of your marketing being digital, for example.
3: Oh, um, well, I guess I'm a funny one to ask that because I do have this digital product. Um, But for me, I actually have high touch with uh, my students because we have a closed Facebook group and I have an online password protected classroom and we have live office hours every week where I use a product called Zoom. So it's video conferencing. And one of the biggest compliments I get from my students is that they say they feel like they're just sitting across from me and we're having like a glass of wine together So my business is probably a little bit different in that way. But I will say that if I think about somebody who is building a business and they are a learner, one thing I bear in mind is that not everybody is a digital learner. People have very different learning styles so that's why I actually love teaching both in a physical classroom and online, because I think people are attracted to those things for different reasons.
0: Krista, I know you're a big networker.
3: (laughs) I'm getting better at it. So of course, everything on Fitlandia is
4: delivered online, not only the memberships, but the nutritional programs. Probably the most effective thing that I've found to help people get in the program is connecting with them one-on-one. So I've really done A lot of work in the Portland area doing lunch and learns. Like we did this awesome ketogenic diet lunch and learn. I'll give a shout out to Dr. Jerome Craig, who partners with me on the program. And just going to teach people without any intention, right? There's a difference between selling and marketing. We got to understand their pain points, we got to educate them and really just deliver our message. But what you're doing is you're building a trust and a rapport with people so that they do feel comfortable giving you their money, that they're gonna get something out of it. Even if you are in the digital space, being a part of expos, being a part of conventions, other opportunities to connect with people in person, we're still human beings at the end of the day. And I think that's a really powerful part of even an online program.
0: Very good. We've got a couple of minutes left in this segment. What's the best piece of market research you ever did that surprised you,
2: I guess? Mm. The best thing you ever did? (laughs) Well, I don't, I don't know about the best piece of market research is the one that works, right? And yeah, so yeah. Um, what I would say is that the best advice about market research that I could give to folks is to go listen to your customers, spend time with them, figure out what their needs are, and focus not on what you provide, but what they need, right? Focus on the solution. So if somebody says, go back to that acupuncture with the knee stuff, right? You can talk about all the science and medical stuff about how acupuncture works and knees work and all that kind of stuff. But if you don't talk about, I'm going to help you run the best marathon in your life, right, which is what your customer wants, you know, then you're not going to meet them if you don't talk about their needs. And Wendy, I absolutely
0: agree with what you said about that all purchasing decisions are made Emotionally, Yeah. That's all advertising is there to do is get the logical back <laughs>
1: yeah. Um
3: So I, you know, I stand behind surveying. Uh, it's something I do consistently in my business and I love to teach it. And I love to challenge my students to actually do it because many people have resistance to doing it. And the reason why I think it's so powerful is because When you ask open-ended questions, you get the natural language from your customer back. So you can then infuse that natural language back into your copy, you know, your website, your brochures, the way that you position your company in a way that really resonates for your target customer. It kind of reminds me of like, if you talk to somebody in technology and they say, you know, my husband works in cloud computing and if somebody asks what that is, he's like, Uh, it is this thing blah blah I'm like nobody speaks like that (laughs) (laughs) speak the way that your customer speaks so they're like oh totally get it
4: yeah and for me it's all about a b testing with my landing page trying out different messaging what does speak to them so I can take some of that information from the surveys but then I put that into the copy and imagery on my website and start to follow what is resonating with them
0: excellent Well, this is all good stuff, and as you're hearing from our guests, there's a lot that goes into this, and planning is a big part of it, so hang around. In the next segment, we're going to look at some practical advice at making a marketing plan that'll work for your startup, and that's right after this short break. You're listening to Biz 503. The podcast for small businesses, startups, and anyone who wants to turn their idea into income. Biz 503 on PRP.
1: Welcome back to Biz 503 on PRP. I'm Hallie Grave of All and Succeed, co-hosting with Joe Barrett.
0: And Hallie has great glasses, by the way, (laughs) among other (laughs) attributes. Cool. Today on Biz 503, we're talking about making the most of your marketing and how to build a marketing plan that fits with your goal.
1: Back with us on the show to share do's and don'ts about marketing, Wendy Cotella, founder of She Gets Business, Sean Harry, business advisor at Portland Community College, SBDC, and Krista King, founder of Fitlandia. Welcome back, everyone.
0: Hey there. Hi. I don't know about you, but when I hear the words marketing plan, I want to run screaming into the night.
1: <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's well, very don't, intimidating. don't, It's not that bad. <laughs> so when it comes to marketing plans, and I think you three have some very specific uh, and awesome expertise in different areas. What was your marketing plan in terms of like when you were creating Fitlandia, Krista, and figuring out like a membership product model for your business plan?
4: Oh, goodness. It's a big one, right? So the first tip that I give is break it down so it's digestible. So for me, it was really focusing on what is my consumer base? Where do I find them? Where are they hanging out? And then I also tie my marketing plan to a content marketing strategy. So all the content that I develop, whether it's a podcast, a blog post, a Facebook live video, I start every month with what is my intention? What is the objective of this month? What am I trying to deliver awareness on. And then I create content marketing that supports that.
1: Awesome. And it sounds like you push
4: it a lot onto social media
1: and onto like your (laughs) your blog or your podcast, right?
4: Yes. If anyone out there is listening and hates (laughs) the idea of getting on social media or going live on Facebook, come find me. I'll help you through (laughs) it.
1: And so this is actually really cool because we have Wendy here who has done a lot of online services. She offers an amazing mentorship on business plans. So, what do you find when it comes to the marketing plan for your specific business model online? Is it very similar or different? How do you approach it?
3: Oh, I also have goals and metrics, um, but I want to answer a slightly different question if I can. Go for it. (laughs) Go for it. Yes. What I notice in my students a lot, and I have um, students who are early stage, startup stage, products, services. I find that when they're actually going to do a marketing plan, they feel really intimidated at first because of all the jargon. So for example, the four Ps, you know, if you didn't get an MBA, maybe you've never heard of the four Ps. So I try to demystify all the terms. Can you break down the four Ps? I can. Product, place, price, and promotion. (laughs) And so so those, yeah, so basically what I do is I basically demystify all the words mm -hmm. Um, And I give them tools on how to develop that. And I ask at the start of my classes, like, how are you feeling about your plan right now and your business? Mm -hmm. And the feedback is always the same. I feel stuck. I feel overwhelmed. I don't know how to move forward. And so by putting it into um, mind snacks, (laughs) then it's really easy to digest and to craft your own plan. And that's really empowering, I think. So it sounds like, Wendy, what you're saying is
1: basically a marketing plan is figuring out who you want to sell to, what you want to sell them, and then how you're going to get that in front of them and sell it to them.
3: Absolutely. And we really stress that it's not, um, some people feel really pressured, like, well, if I say this and what if I'm wrong or I want my idea to change, I'm like, you're the CEO, it's your business plan, it's organic changes. And that's such a good point. And I think Sean
1: can add a lot of value as well, since are brick and mortar is very different from online businesses in terms of how they like create their marketing plans or they implement them rather?
2: Well, they might be different depending upon the customers. Again, I think every marketing plan needs to start with your customer. What are their needs and how are you going to fulfill them? Right? So when we talk about a marketing plan, what we have them do is really think about two aspects of the marketing plan. First, there's this general plan, which includes their brand and their you know, colors and, you know, all of that, right? So if it's a local store, it's gonna be, what does it look like from the outside? What's the experience you you want the customer to have when they come in, that kind of thing. So that's the first half of the marketing plan. The other half is uh, marketing campaigns. What specific campaigns are you going to conduct so that you can reach a specific segment of your market? And you think about this, we see it all the time, right? So around the holiday season, We see these advertisements on television for these cars that have these giant bows on them, right? And that comes around every year. Uh, Right now, we're seeing in a lot of places, we're seeing things related to the 4th of July, Right. And I heard someone say, you know, hey, this makes a great dads and grads gift. <laughs> you know, don't forget that. Yeah. And it, that was a local radio spot.
1: So when it comes to this, this marketing plan, and then we have these specific goals that we're tying into, when it comes to brick and mortar um, businesses in particular, their goals are to get like a lot of the July 4th traffic versus like, what do you see the goals being and then them tying it into their marketing plans, just a specific so people can get a idea in their head.
2: Anytime you set goals in business, you want to use SMART goals, right? Mm -hmm. S-M-A-R-T. So specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time bound. So when somebody says, I want to get more traffic, Mm -hmm. I say, how much? What kind of traffic? When do you want it? Right. So they can talk about, okay, we're going to have a marketing campaign that is going to focus on dads and grads, Mm -hmm. and we want to have 10% more customers than we did last year at this time. Or we want to increase our revenue year over year by $10,000 or something. We want them to put something very specific in there so that they know when they've achieved that goal.
0: And we can talk a lot about marketing in the context of getting customers. Let's talk a little bit about the rest of the sales cycle, I guess I'm going to call it, is taking those and turning them into evangelists. How much of that is technically marketing? Or are we talking about a whole different area here?
3: Um, I see that as the, if you imagine the sales funnel. So at the top, you would have the marketing activities, which drives awareness of your products or services. And then we have conversion, which is really the touch points that you're having with a customer. Uh, And then, excuse me, uh, (laughs) <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> conversion is the sale. <laughs> yep. <laughs> i completely messing up on my own sales funnel. <laughs>
1: More but, conversion. <laughs> yeah, you want
3: conversion. But the conversion is the sale, right? So after the sale, you still want to love, love, love your customers. And they go, to me, they go right back to the top of your sales funnel, because then you have opportunities to sell to them, depending on what your product or services is, sell to them again, or upsell them or, and there's nothing icky or spammy about that. I, I always look at what I do and encourage others to do the same is like, this is a valuable service that you are providing out into the world that people need. So this is really about, okay, you've taken them to this point. Now what do they need? Now what do they need?
2: So I want to add to that. We teach about the customer relationship arc. And so we think about, you know, here on one side of the arc, the customer, has no awareness of who you are. And marketing is the activity that lets them know who you are and how you can provide a service or a product that meets their needs. Then they move, as they're moving through that arc, they move towards the sales, into the sales funnel. And at some point, there's this magical point where the prospect turns from a prospective customer into an actual customer. It's got a very technical term to it. It's called a sale right? (laughs) So the the, the person actually purchases something, a product or service and exchanges money for it, right? But then you go beyond that. The arc continues. You go into customer service, you go into um, delivering the product or service. And I think some of the most effective marketing that I have experienced comes at that point of delivery or comes at that point of customer service, And likewise, we can think of examples, not to be named here on the air, (laughs) but we can think of examples of companies who really screw up on the customer service side, right? You're on hold for a long time. Nobody cares when they talk to you, blah, 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 blah. And as soon as you have another opportunity to purchase that product or service, you're going with somebody else.
1: So you see customer service being a part of marketing, not necessarily a part of sales because it increases the retention of the people that you have who have bought your product or service?
2: Well, I wouldn't say it that way. I would say that you can include the marketing function, right, in the sales uh, part, in the delivery, in the customer service. You can include marketing all the time. And in fact, we have some clients who have done this very effectively, even in small businesses, right? So I had another acupuncture client. My wife's an acupuncturist, by the way. And so all of her friends (laughs) and colleagues come to me and say, hey, can you help me grow my practice? Mm -hmm. This other one has figured out that she can sell a bundled package of services, right? So she'll charge $600 for eight weeks of services, which is going to benefit the customer. They can get a 10% reduction in cost as well, Mm -hmm. and she can provide these services, right? So... So it sounds
1: like you have a lot of acupuncturists coming to you, Sean. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It might be your specialty. I
2: feel like a pin cushion sometimes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you're saying basically this is why so many businesses can exist because they have same, they're selling the same thing, but because of their marketing, they're able to bring in enough clients or enough uh, sales that they can flourish because they have so different marketing tactics.
2: Well, and you have to understand that the most expensive customer that you're going to get is the first time customer, Right. And every time that you're able to sell a product or service over and over to the customer, the cost of that sale goes down.
1: So your profit increase when you keep people instead of trying to bring new people in. Absolutely. Excellent. All right. What do you think about that, Wendy? How do you make that happen online?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think the touch points that you have with the customer, I mean, for example, for my own online program, at every point, the customer is getting lots of love and information, like from the second... She buys. She gets an immediate email uh, that is totally on brand vibe saying, "Hey, there. Uh, I'm so excited uh, that you're here. and here's your login info. Here's how to reach me. Get in our classroom. There's a friendly video there and set, and it's very easy for them to connect with me. So easy, easy, easy. But I think about this also a lot in terms of the companies that I work with and how much I appreciate. Um, being somebody saying, like, thank you so much for shopping with us. Uh, we really appreciate you as a customer. I went to a Cairo recently and I recommended on Nextdoor this Cairo. And immediately, like within like two hours, uh, they sent me a note and said, Thank you so much for recommending us. We really appreciate it. That's amazing touch point. And it makes you feel connected to the brand, it makes you a, a raving fan.
1: So do you find that when it comes to your marketing plans or the marketing plans that you're helping people out with, that you have to keep updating them or evolving them? Or how often should people be going back to their marketing plan and being like, you know what? I think I need to change you, buddy.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's a living document. If it's not, then it's probably not worth anything. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And if you have in mind that your marketing is to reach the customer and their needs, Mm -hmm. right, rent out space in their mind, then the more that you learn about what their needs are, you have to keep updating your marketing plan. And then again, as far as that goes, you know, you have the whole plan, the big plan, but then you have the campaigns, right? Mm-hmm. And so your campaigns are time limited. And once that campaign ends, then of course you got to start another one for the next season. So yeah, it's, it, you got to update it all the time.
3: Yeah, I actually, I mean, I have to say I came from marketing and a marketing centric. I worked for Apple for 10 years. So awesome. <laughs> I've kind of had this all forced down my throat, but it is best practices and can easily be applied to uh, small business. So my target customer doesn't change, but the product evolves because I'm constantly surveying my customers and determining like, what do they want different? What can I add? Where are the knowledge gaps? That's a real pain point for my customer. But also to the promotion side or um, the campaign side, you know, that's going to be, you know, I'm looking at new and interesting ways to bring people into my pipeline to use sales terminology, but basically to create more awareness about what I do from a place of service Mm -hmm. um, and to be able to serve more people as students in my classroom.
1: So you're saying it sounds like your marketing plan's evolving because like new things come out on the internet that allow you to connect with your customers. So things like Snapchat versus Instagram or podcasts versus webinars. Oh,
3: not so much the um, tools, but rather, for example, um, in the class I had, Last time, you know, the class was great and I did a survey, uh, surveys again. So I did a formal survey after the class and then I had a one-to-one with each of my students. And I asked them, what did you love? What What's missing? What do you need? And so out of that, I learned that there was a real need to get deeper onto forecasting. So I said, okay, I'm going to create a module completely around forecasting and add that into the classroom.
1: So you updated the product based on yeah. customers. Okay. Input. Gotcha. And so that's, that's right. part of the marketing process that you...
3: Yeah, I mean it's the P, the for the product P, um, <laughs> but then also in terms of um, growing the pipeline. So um, I do a lot of free training online using webinars. I use a tool called Zoom that I absolutely love. So then I can know, like, okay, this is a real pain point for people out there. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to do a free one hour webinar specifically around forecasting. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that, say, you want more? I got more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ooh, such a good idea. So it sounds like it helped you develop your content marketing. Absolutely. And be like, hey, if you love forecasting, you love this program.
3: Yeah. And I think to Krista's point also, so I do map that. Like I yeah. actually map every module I have in my classroom and then I map that back to, well, what is the free content that marries back to that?
1: Okay, gotcha. So you're using free content as basically bait. And then you have people coming in and be like, I'm interested in this. And then you have a way for them to go from stranger into
3: friend, uh, friend. Or which customer. Is a that, yeah, that's what Krista was saying, too. Like she's doing these lunch and learns. And it's a way for people to, um, you know, build no like trust with her as a person and with her company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's much easier to convert somebody into a fan. Yeah, definitely. And that's interesting. How do you turn people from in life hanging out in a meeting into
1: an online customer?
4: Well, I think it just comes from a place of integrity, like with intention of I just want you to learn. I want you to get excited about it. So I always invite people, hey, uh, do two things, sign up for the newsletter. If you liked it, there's more content coming. Um, Tune into the podcast. We talk a lot about these topics. So it's not just, okay, I got in front of you and now magically happens. (laughs) No, and, and someone used this great analogy. When you go out on a first date, you don't just start making out with your date, right? Like you're building this relationship. You're building this. I know, we're going there. Analogies are so good for us all, though. So it's how do you keep communicating with them? But kind of going back to what Wendy and I've been talking about is adding value, like giving them enough information to do something with it, and then they can take that and say, oh yeah, okay, this might be a little bit more challenging than I initially expected. Maybe I will try that intro program and give up sugar for two weeks. You know, maybe that's not too scary. So it's having that level, that tiered approach.
1: So just quickly, when it comes to value, you're saying, all right, we're gonna provide a lot of value. We're gonna give them a lot of free, awesome information. And then how do you measure to see which one's successful and which one isn't so that you don't put your time into the wrong thing? Because we were talking to Wendy about how she was like, oh, forecasting, that's the thing that everybody wants. So if Krista, do you want to go ahead and how do you measure that, especially since you're having lunch with people?
4: Yeah. Um, so I measure engagement. I'm very aware. I'm constantly listening, watching. Where are they like, OK, checking out, eyes roll, sit back, not paying attention, you know. So there's some of that. And then certainly with a lot of the webinar tools, you can actually they have analytics that will tell you how engaged someone is. They can tell if they're <laughs> all goofing around on Facebook, you know. Um, so I think those are really important to look at. But Right. You have to test a number of different things to be able to compare one to the other. And how do you adjust your messaging? So the other tip I'll give is don't change too many things at one time, because then you'll never know what worked or what didn't work, what component of that. So so make small, steady changes in your A-B testing.
0: All right. 30 second lightning round as we close this segment out. And I got an analogy for you since you went to the analogy <laughs> it's, a, it's a baseball one a guy who has a a weird batting stance but he's really good and a hitting coach will come along and try to change him and inevitably doesn't work so the long way into this is what I'm saying is what about marketing plans for entrepreneurs who don't like structure because a lot of times entrepreneurs are people with weird batting stances in life so what advice would you have for people that don't like planning I guess
3: (laughs) come across this a lot um I think the reality is, is that when you have good structure set up, you are more enabled to create a viable business. Viable, I mean, profitable. And I do find in um, a lot of my students in the in-person classes here in Portland that there is a can be a real resistance to technology and tools that can significantly reduce the time and effort it takes to run your business and you know, sort of this sense of overwhelm about, you know, how to. Do, I don't even want to go there. I'm just, my mind is closed to that. In those cases, I do actually go back to mindset and I have, I mean, I'm thinking of the beautiful D in my class who class one, two, three, four, and five, she kept saying, Wendy, I don't want these apps. I don't want to do this. You know, this is, I'm old school and I'm proud of being old school. Class five, she says, Wendy, God sent you to me. (laughs) That's what she said. She said, you are, um, you have nudged me into this direction. I am now willing to open this. So there is something to be said about like being open and having an open scientific mindset to explore things that can actually enable you to be more effective. Cool.
2: Thank you. Sean? Well, I would, I would approach it a little bit differently. Uh, One of the things that we know is that the business owner can't be perfect at everything. So maybe they're good at finances and they're not so good at marketing. This is the time when you hire somebody to do it for you, right? So reach out, you know, do what you do best, hire out the rest. Excellent.
3: I also say the exact same thing. So we are in agreement on that point. I think outsourcing is really important, but there's also that mindset piece.
0: And we just high-fived in the studio. Fantastic.
3: (laughs) That's such a good point. And because no two businesses are exactly the
1: same and every startup founder learns how fast a business can change, stay tuned because we are going to talk in this final segment about how to stay nimble and be creative with your marketing strategies. When we
0: come back. Are you ready to turn your idea into cash or are you already launched and hitting roadblocks? Join PRP each Friday at 1 p.m. for Biz 503, the talk show for startups and small businesses. Welcome back. I'm Joe Barrett, co-hosting with Hallie, like Hallie Berry, Gray (laughs) on Biz 503.
1: Today we're unpacking the story of marketing for startups and what folks new to business can do to get their marketing game on. In this segment, we're going to look at how to stay nimble and adapt to unexpected challenges, customer feedback, and so much more.
0: And back with us in the studio, Sean Harry from Portland Community College, SBDC, Krista King of Fitlandia, and Wendy Cotilla with She Gets Business. And I would like to just first compliment all three of you on your websites, by the way. I don't know if you did them yourself or who you have doing them. But your websites really reflect exactly who is coming across on the radio.
2: <laughs> yeah, we and, pay somebody
0: to do that for yay. us. <laughs> and, and that's really, I mean, that's a big part of the marketing too. So we're going to talk in this last segment about staying nimble. And I guess I want to start out with people come to you, Sean, Wendy, for marketing advice. And Krista, you're exploring all the time. Who has your ear? Who is your... um? mentor or influencer or influencers as far as marketing and when they say something you sit up and take notice.
4: <laughs> so I am the ever learner. And I I still have so much to learn when it comes to marketing. But there's actually a book that I read called Traction. There's two of them. It's the light blue one. I'm blanking on the author's name. I apologize. Um, but that was really transformative for me. But I'm also a big fan of podcasts. That's just how I learn is through connecting with someone's personality. So I'm a big fan of Lewis Howes, especially because he comes from a fitness background. So I, I really resonate with that. And I just got turned on to Tim Ferriss, and, and there's a, there's a couple nuggets in there that I really connect with. So I'm I'm a big podcast listener.
0: Cool. And that book is called Traction, How Any Startup Can Achieve Explosive Customer Growth.
4: That is the one. Thank by you.
0: Gabriel Weinberg.
4: Yes.
2: Well, I don't think that's a fair question. I was not told we were going to have a test today. so uh, You've
0: already passed by being
2: here. Though, so. Well, I did write a book on marketing called the, the Best Little Marketing Plan. So I do turn to myself, uh, you know, as some other famous people might say. And I'm drawing a blank on some of the other people that I listen to. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I just can't even think of a name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wendy.
3: For me, the my learning curve uh, over the last 18 months has not been around the subject matter of uh, business foundations, but rather how to deliver an online business. So my go-to sources are Amy Porterfield. I love absolutely everything that she does. I um, I think about three and a half years ago, I became a member of something called B-School, Marie Forleo's B-School, which is an amazing community and really my entree into online marketing. And then Natalie Lussier, she and her husband are techie people who have created all these wonderful uh, WordPress plugins. And then she does amazing training. Um, I also listen to podcasts all the time. I'm in the car a lot and I just turn that sucker on and make it awesome time. So I'm learning, learning, learning.
0: Excellent. Okay. Let's talk about marketing and being nimble, uh, making changes, I guess first is who do you listen to uh, if you work by yourself or if you have other people on a team? How much of that input do you, I mean, you take it in, but ultimately, where does the decision come from? Are you the sole decision maker? Krista, I guess I'll start with you.
4: Yeah, uh, well, I'm I'm the ultimate decision maker, right? But I certainly allow feedback to come in. I'm a part of two very amazing um, female entrepreneurial groups here And I'm getting constant feedback from them. One tip that I'll give everyone, you're gonna get a lot of feedback from a lot of people (laughs) on what you
3: should be doing. Oh
4: oh my gosh. And that's great, but you have to know at your core what your mission is, what you are not willing to flex on in your business and just how to adjust and take in their feedback, but stand in your own resolve about ultimately what you're gonna do with that information. Otherwise. It can wear you down.
2: Well, I would say that the one who ultimately makes the decision is the customer, right? You got to listen to them. You got to listen to their needs and find out what they want, because if you're not hitting that, they're not buying. And, And again, that's that goes back to being nimble. If you're trying something and you're seeing that it's not working, you've given it ample time, you've set your metrics and you know that you're not hitting them, right? Maybe it's time to pull the plug and try something else, but go back to your customer maybe do a survey, right? (laughs) And uh, find out what they need.
0: What if you're early stage enough that your customer at this point is say like a potential VC, if you're pitching a lot, something along those lines, how much of that? Because I know, I know, Chris, I know you've pitched a ton.
4: Yes. How much of that
0: (laughs) resonates? Because I know people who do a lot of this and she'll say, they told me this On one pitch, and then they told her the exact opposite thing on the next one.
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what you have to expect, right? They're not in your business, but they're also not in your customer. And I like Sean's point about ultimately your customer is making the decision. So from my 23-year background in analysis, you have to go back to the numbers. Like the numbers don't lie you know, you're presenting your own success with a VC through, you know, growth measurements that I'm still working on generating. (laughs) But that's really how I handle that is, you know, being respectful and taking in the feedback just like everyone else's, but really letting, again, your customer, your sales, your growth, your efforts dictate how you pivot.
0: Wendy, I see you there like you have something (laughs) you want to say.
3: (laughs) So I was on the board for the Oregon Entrepreneurs Network for two years and I oversaw, um, I advised on the program Angel Oregon, which is like Shark Tank for Oregon companies. Um, And I'm also an investor in several companies. Um, As part of that process, you know, you're tearing apart business plans and providing the feedback, Um, you know, from a VC hat or um, even angel funding, they're looking for an exit strategy and a three to five year viable business plan that has believable metrics But the funding path, I think, is an interesting conversation because I think I always advise people to go back to the vision of what they want their company to be, because not everyone is on a path of taking funding and giving up equity in their company uh, and then going down that path. And I'm thinking of a woman here in Portland, uh, Mara Zepeda, who is the she was in the Portland Incubator Experiment. She's the co-founder of Switchboard and she went through the whole process and was like, you know what? We don't want to take funding. We're going to bootstrap this thing. Here's the reasons why. And she's also the co-founder of something called the Accelerate Fund, which is here in Portland now. And it's about providing uh, women access to capital, traditional and non-traditional uh, modes. That sounds amazing. What do you think, Sean?
2: Well, most of the clients that we work with are people who actually want a lifestyle business. So they're not going for venture capital at all. They're looking to uh, build a business that really is an extension of who they are in the world. And they want to stay in that business 10, 20, 30 years or more and pass it on to their kids or sell it to their uh, to their employees. So we don't, we don't get that question a lot. Um, we have them listen to their customers because they want to build a, a lifestyle business.
1: I'm so glad we addressed that because I think that's something we need to cover because a lot of people have different expectations going into different types of businesses. So let's talk a little bit about marketing in terms of being innovative and like, how do you know something is innovative and how do you create something uh, that is novel or new that gets your customers, you know, attention? So how do you see a a marketing campaign being innovative?
2: Well, we see innovative marketing campaigns all the time. And particularly because the people that we work with tend to be people who don't have a lot of money to throw at marketing, right? Yep. <laughs> and so um, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Mm. And so they need to find ways to be really creative and to get a lot of marketing for very few dollars. Um, I think of an example here in town, Mattress Mike is who we call him, right? <laughs> who owns a mattress store up on Sandy Boulevard. And uh, Mattress Mike, during the recession, he bought this lot of mattresses And uh, because he was unemployed, right? Mm -hmm. And my brother-in-law was also unemployed at the time, an employed architect. And he was hanging out with him. And he said, yeah, you want to work with me? And he said, yeah. He said, hey, I got this idea. I own this tandem bicycle. Mm -hmm. What if we delivered mattresses using a tandem bicycle? (laughs) So my brother-in-law made this big cart that they hooked to the tandem bicycle right? And they deliver mattresses. Wow. Now, I'm not sure that they deliver very many mattresses through a tandem bicycle, but that's so Portland. Yeah. Right. And that is a great way to get attention. So now he actually has someone's attention who is also looking at these other big uh, mattress uh, bed companies in the area.
1: So an innovative campaign is really just like a zany, wacky way to get people's attention and hopefully keep it.
2: Well, that is one way yeah. to be innovative. Another way to be innovative is to go back to something that worked a long time ago that uh, hasn't been in use. Uh, I was talking to a client yesterday. I said, and I asked him in preparation for today, because I knew you'd ask me this question. <laughs> right, said, me, what's Sean? the most innovative uh, kind of marketing that you've done lately? And he said, we've actually been writing letters and mailing them to Whoa, people.
1: no way. And he says, we're
2: getting a significant <laughs> amount of response you know, not everybody buys from the letter. That's mm-hmm. not the purpose of marketing. Marketing is about renting space in the mind of your customer, right? And uh, But he said, apparently, these people, the only mail that they get are bills and junk mail. And so when they get an actual letter that's actually handwritten with an actual stamp on it, they open it and read it. Go figure.
1: So smart. And really because nobody else is doing it, it stands out in their mind. It it jumps out. It runs yeah. a very studio innovative.
2: <laughs> very innovative. Very innovative old school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They went back and they went retro. How about
1: you, Krista? What oh, about an oh. online innovative example? Yeah,
4: totally. I'm in the middle of one right now. Yes. Um, so I you know, mind zoning is like a guided meditation, but instead of clearing your mind, it's actually much more engaging, active, creating a new thought pattern. But there is a big education hump to get people over. So I decided in the month of uh, June, every day at 12pm Pacific, I go live on Facebook with a new topic. So I have 30 topics. I give a little background about it. And then I deliver somewhere between a five and 10 minute mind zoning so they can actually take a break and actively see it work on it. And then I invite them to come over, sign up for the newsletter, because then they're all going to get three free mixed recordings once they're out this summer. So I hope it's innovative. I had a goal. You it's always start with a goal, right? I had a goal to reach a thousand people and midway through, I had already had over 2000 views of the videos. Ooh. So I'm super psyched That's about it. so exciting. It. Nice.
0: Excellent. Is that you backflipping on the beach? On I your, wish I was. <laughs> I it and
4: I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to learn how to backflip on a beach.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like the novel marketing talk because I used to be in radio and you know, we did like, T-shirt cannons and go to the mall and wacky, zany
2: DJs and stuff. But yeah. I got another novel marketing story if you want to hear it. I do. All right. Well, there's another, uh, these are clients of ours and they own the Side Yard Farm. So they grow all of this food up in North Portland, Northeast Portland. And they also have, I think, Sunday brunch and meal some other time, you know, so it's like a restaurant and farm. And this summer, they're gonna have bike in movies. Again, so what? Portland, right? <laughs> so they're gonna, uh, you, you can check them out, Sideyard Farm, and uh, you can ride your bike up on some Friday evening and watch a movie. It's a great marketing. I mean, they get people out to the farm, right? And at the same time, everyone's having fun. I don't think they even charge anything for it.
1: That is a great idea. So instead of a drive-in theater, it's a bike-in theater. Bike-in movie, yeah. Wow, such a good idea. And it gets people noticing it, you know, which is really important. Um, Wendy, have you seen any sort of innovative marketing campaigns in your industry? Oh, so I came from Apple,
3: right? So... (laughs) I feel like Apple is kind of like the, you know, beacon of innovation. But I don't know. It, to be honest, in my own business, and by the way, I bought my mattress from the mattress lot. <laughs> yeah. And and when we were talking about customer service earlier and their customer service was excellent. Like the whole touch point was amazing. Um, in my own business though, I don't I guess I don't think of it as innovation. I think of it as I'm trying something and I am I'm looking for things that feel comfortable for me. Like, it sounds like Krista, you might be pushing yourself. Like I'm going to do Facebook live. Is that what you're going to do? Yeah. yeah. Oh so, no, I'm doing it. Yeah. yeah. So, like, <laughs> I'm doing Facebook live. I'm going to challenge myself, you know, 30 days to do that. But other people have done Facebook live, right? So Krista's not like creating the concept of Facebook live. So what I look out there is like high converting, really engaging, um, uh, strategies and tactics that I can pull into my own business mm-hmm. that are um, resonate for me personally and I feel will resonate with my target audience. And then to Krista's point, I measure it.
1: <laughs> do you have one of your favorite ones or do you have a student's success story when it came to like coming up with something new or something that got a lot of attention?
3: Oh, Lord, I can't
1: think of one right <laughs> off the top of my <laughs> head, <okay>. honestly. And <laughs> that <laughs> happens. That happens. Um, so when it comes to having your marketing, being having done it for so long yourselves, How do you then hire somebody and then trust them to take over and then let them take, you know, lead on all your marketing endeavors?
4: Yeah, I can jump in on this. It's really tough, right? It's really tough. You can't be all things to everyone at all times and do all tasks. So you really have to, um, you know, be nimble with that process, too. I'll I'll give a great example. I work with a young woman who does amazing work uh, helping me launch my social media but I I actually write the content and develop the imagery. And then I have her go ahead and post it up because I found when it was the other way around, um, it just wasn't my voice. It wasn't my mission. It wasn't my message. So I think that's a really important part of it is know what your skill set is, know what you like to do, know what you don't like to do. And then it's never turning it over to someone. It's how are you partnering together so that the best of your skills and their skills comes out in that content and serves your customers.
1: Gotcha. Okay. What about you, Sean? What do you see?
2: Yeah. Well, you can never completely turn over any part of your business. Okay. If you're a small business owner, you have to know every aspect of your business. That is not to say that you can't outsource things. You can't hire other people. And maybe this is a different conversation that uh, radio show, but uh, you know, when you're going to hire somebody to do something for you, whether they're an employee or, you know, contractor, You want to figure out what exactly it is that you want that person to do. I would have you do a cost-benefit analysis. What are the benefits uh, that I expect this person to provide for us? And what are the costs associated with that? And if the benefits are more than the cost, that's the time to hire somebody. And, you know, create that job description that includes everything that you want that person to do.
1: Have you seen marketing being the hardest thing to hire out or delegate out in your experience? Because you've worked with a lot of
2: businesses. No, I haven't. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people, it goes back to what Joe said at the beginning, a lot of people think of marketing and they freak out, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they think it's going to be expensive and they don't know how to do it. And so they hire out. Mm-hmm. Um, hiring out for to get the good mm-hmm. marketing, yeah. that's a challenge. <laughs> in the same way that it's, it's difficult to hire out to get a good bookkeeper, Mm -hmm. right? Or to get any in this economy, in this town right now, any employees because we're at 3.6% unemployment, right? So it's not necessarily the hard part, but you have to be crystal clear about your expectations for anybody that you hire. Can I
3: answer that one? I'd love to, I did it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually love this subject because I find a lot of the people I'm working with are one person shops or two people shops, and they are not in a position to be hiring. And so their mind is telling them, I don't have money to hire and I don't have, um, I can't find the right people. So I teach them about Epwork, um, which is my favorite tool. So right now I've got a copywriter in um, Canada. I have a virtual assistant for social media in London. They don't need to physically, my web designers in Brisbane, Australia. So you can hire people through this portal. And it's really, really easy to find capable people who are independent contractors to do your stuff. But then I also teach folks to create a manual and operations manual on drive and provide access to the specific partner, right? So you're writing, here's the vision, here's my target audience, here's our objectives, here's the goal, you're setting all of that for your own company, and they can be on board and delivering what you need because you've set those clear parameters. So
1: even though marketing is very creative, you're saying that you can turn it into a system. That oh, absolutely.
3: Systems right. are really important for productivity.
1: They so are. And there should be another episode on this it uh, be. show. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Wendy, Sean, and Krista for being on the show.
0: It's a good hour. I have a lot of notes that I've taken and I'm going to have to get back to you on all the the names you've dropped and the apps <laughs> and the offers. Thanks a lot. Thank you. hey, th- you're welcome. Next week on Biz 503, oh, it's the big moment. We're going to talk about how to get to where you're ready to make your first sale and how to make the most of it.
1: Thanks for joining us today on Biz 503 on PRP and have a great weekend.
0: Support for Biz 503 comes from Emix Law Group, offering trusted legal advice to startups and small businesses. Imex for business advice.